What you are about to hear is a lesson taught in the Baird and Born Essentials class. For more information, or to download all the resources made available in this class, click the link in the episode description or visit barrettandborn.com. And now, this week's Essentials class. So we said that we were doing this through, the, through five relationships, worship, education, um, community, spiritual formation, and kingdom work. So we're going to move into this education one here, and we are going to discuss um, some things that we would discuss in education, creeds, catechisms, confessions of faith. And we're going to focus now on what it is that we believe about the Christian faith so that we can grow in our Christian faith. Um, Today's Halloween. So, happy Halloween to you. <laughs> Halloween is a Christian holiday. <clears throat> um, oh. Right? Huh? Oh. Yeah. Oh. It is. As are... What? <laughs> That's a subcategory of Christian holiday known as Baptist holidays. Okay. Uh, Halloween is a Christian holiday. I want to talk to you about uh, the church calendar. How many of you are familiar with how the church has kind of divided up the year in, in past times? Anybody? No? Okay. Well, you're going to like this. Well, I hope you like it. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> All right. There's two halves to a year, six months and six months. The church has divided up the calendar uh, primarily by taking time each year for about six months of the year to focus on deeply each part of the life of Christ from his birth all the way to his resurrection and his sending of the Spirit. Um, And that starts at the end of November, at the beginning of December, and we call that Advent. Okay, so we have the life of Jesus, and that goes from leading up to Christmas all the way over to Easter. And then after Easter, we celebrate the, the, the sending of the Holy Spirit. And then... From the end of Pentecost, remember this from the book of Acts, all the way until the year ends, we are uh, ourselves walking in the way of Jesus, the way that Jesus walked to the cross. And so you have heard of these before. We, 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 we have Advent and then we have Christmas. Now let me tell you something about Christmas. It's the greatest time of the year. Christmas, the season, begins at the end of November and it goes all the way to midway through January. I don't make the rules. That's the way it works. Christmas does not end on Christmas Day. It begins on Christmas Day, okay? The 12 days of Christmas, you've heard of the 12 days of Christmas. It starts on Christmas. It doesn't end on Christmas. And so you keep the trees up. <laughs> Minimum January 6th, maximum January 12th, all right? That's the way it works. It's spiritual. It's spiritual, and I'm trying to tell you it is. <laughs> so we celebrate the birth of Christ. We, cel- we take time during the Advent season to, cel- to, to prepare our hearts for the coming of the light into the world. And we celebrate the coming of Jesus into the world at Christmas. We celebrate the life of Jesus. We focus on the Gospels early on in the year. And then we move into the period that, that some places refer to as the Lenten season, or it's a time of, of, of being sorrowful for our sins, of, of fasting and repentance. This is good for us. We talked about that in, in uh, confession before. And we focus on that. We move towards the cross. And then after the cross, we celebrate Easter. And then we celebrate Easter for 40, or excuse me, for 50 days. 
That's, you have to. It doesn't work. You have to keep celebrating Easter. Don't stop celebrating Easter on Easter. You have to celebrate Easter for 50 days. It's a whole big month-long holiday, almost two months. We have to keep celebrating it. Now, focus with me on this, and I'll explain <laughs> to you why. Because we live all of our lives as Christians in a world that tells us when and how we have to have allegiances to things, when and how we have to celebrate things, when and how we have to do things. The government tells us when we have to do our taxes, right? And Hallmark tells us when we need to buy candy and cards, right? The church has what is known as liturgy. Liturgy is, means literally the work of the people. It's the public work that we do together that unifies us. It's a rhythm. It's a breathing in and a breathing out of the life of Jesus. And what we do is reduce it down to an hour and a half on a Sunday, and then we go back in to live the world's liturgy. They tell us when our favorite shows are on. They tell us when to pay the taxes and when to go to the store. They tell us when we need to buy this, and the world tells us when we need to do this. The world tells us what. We work 40 hours because the world tells us that that's how many hours you have to work in the week. We work uh, uh, Monday through Friday because that's when the unions decided we're going to have a, a work schedule. We don't operate in our minds and hearts in a Christian breathing and rhythm. And so what the liturgy does or the calendar the church calendar does is it sets our mind with what's going on around us into the life of jesus so that for an entire year our minds are set on him at various points in his life now you all celebrate liturgy and here's let me explain to you why how many of you have ever gone to a baseball game or a football game before right you go to a baseball game and it has a liturgy right and because and you'll all know it as soon as i say it will you please rise and remove your caps for the singing of the national anthem. You know the words, right? Now, if, if you told a Christian that they live a liturgy of the world, they'd go, oh yeah, I know all those words. And then as soon as the church goes, well, we have one too, we go, I don't know about that. That seems weird, right? So take off your caps. And what does everybody do? They all rise. You take off your caps. Where do you put your hand? You know it already. You already know the, the liturgy of the world, right? And where do, you, where do your eyeballs go? Please direct your attention to the... Okay, you guys are really good at this already. <laughs> All right? Somebody sings the national anthem. And if there's any goofball that's sitting down or he's got his hat on, all the big bros in the room, the, you're going to hear, you'll hear him yelling, take off your hat. Right? That's the way it works. Because we know the liturgy of the world. We know the work that we do. What does it do? It's a moment in time of solemnness, of saying, here's what we're doing. You're a Red Sox fan and I'm a Yankees fan, but we come together because this is the thing that's more sacred right? And so everybody bonds together. It's a, it's a unity. It's a moment. And if you're at a football game and it's the Super Bowl, as soon as they finish singing the national anthem, what flies over your head? The fighter jets, the fighter jets right? See, you know the liturgy of the world, right? Because we have celebrations and sacred things that we, that we hold together, that what does it do? It gets our minds right, okay? And so the church has this in the calendar, that, that God graciously has created the world in a certain way that is supposed to awaken us to different aspects of the Christian faith so at different times of the year, we can grow in those things. And this is why Halloween is a Christian holiday. So let me bear with me on this. It comes from, so we start in Ireland, right? How many of you are Irish? Okay. I wasn't going to say anything bad. 
I was literally taking a breath. My lungs can't handle how fast that I'm talking. So it starts in Ireland, and here's what's happening. At the end of the, at the, end of the, the year, right, the leaves are starting to turn, and things are starting to die. The harvest is over. The earth is not bringing forth any more fruit. It's getting colder, right? Things are beginning to die. Things are getting grayer. Things are getting darker. So naturally, what does that lend the mind to think about? To think about death, right? And so they have pagan holidays where they begin to celebrate and, or not celebrate, excuse me, but to contemplate death. And it appears to them, they're not scientists, but it appears to them that the world of the, the dead, the spirits, is crossing over into the world of the living because the earth itself is going through this death. And so it's a time, it's a pagan holiday, if you will, that is contemplating death. Well, as was prone to happen, Christian missionaries flood into the area, explain the gospel, people start turning to Christ, and what do they do? The same thing they do with all the holidays. They get together and say, you know, we should just make this holiday about Jesus now. And so they did, and they called it All Hallows' Eve, right? It's the evening before the holy day where they would celebrate the, the death of the saints. So let's think about horror movies, if you will, for just a minute. What's the worst thing that can happen to you in a horror movie? Chainsaw. Well, <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. You go into a basement. Okay, no. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. Today's going to be a rough one. All right. What's the, ulti- what's the ultimate fear in a horror movie? Death, right? And so that's the, that's the concept of all the horror movies, right? The, the, nobody watches, I don't know, I'm thinking something. Nobody watches You've Got Mail with the thought of, oh, I hope they don't die. <laughs> right? It's a love story. It's a rom-com, right? Nobody wants to die. And so a horror movie plays on that number one fear of not wanting to die. Because this is the season as you're seeing the leaves turn. It's not a beautiful green anymore. It's, it's starting to turn, although the colors are beautiful. Eventually, once they hit the ground, it's brown and crunchy and, and nasty. There's two dead squirrels outside of my house. I don't know what happened to them, but they're dying. And everything in, in the neighborhood is dying now. And there's that, there's that chill in the air. You go to take the dog for a walk and there's the crunch of the leaves and it just feels like the world is dying. And so it's the time that death is just reasonable to think of. And so they, we have a, a season that has now developed in our culture to be you know, heavily on horror and fear and, and dressing up in spooky and spooky and all of that. And the Christians came along and said, we view death differently. Whereas in a horror movie, death is coming for you and death is your master. In the Christian world, death has become our servant. It does nothing more than opens the gateway through which we go and see our Lord. And so to a Christian, today is All Hallows' Eve. We contemplate death. We focus on death. And we think about death. Because tomorrow, November 1st, is All Saints' Day. Is the day that we remember all of the people that in your scary movies died and you thought that was the worst thing that happened. For us... We're celebrating the fact that they're with our Lord right now. And we're celebrating that death has no power. So we look at the season around us, and as the pagan world looks at it and says, ah, things are dying, we look at it and say, ah, but Christ is risen. And so that's why I say to you, Halloween is a Christian holiday. Uh, And so at the end of the year, you know, in the the civil calendar, we have um, New Year's Eve. And then we go into New Year's Day and it's a new year. For the Christian, New Year's Day is the beginning of the Advent season. 
And the last day, the last day of the church calendar is the last Sunday in November before Advent starts. It has been known as Christ the King Sunday. And it's a remembrance of when all of life completes itself. So we have Advent, Jesus is coming, and then we have Jesus' baptism, and we have Jesus going and preaching the gospel, and then he goes to the cross, and then his resurrection, and then his ascension, and then Pentecost, and then we live out the life of the church during the, you know, May, June, July, August, September, October seasons, and then October we're coming to death where in the end we all will die. In the end we're all going to pass away. But in the very, very end, Christ is king. And that's our New Year's Eve. At the last Sunday in November, Christ is King. So this whole month, October and November, it's us looking forward to the end. Now, it's important to look forward to the end because if we don't know how to die, we don't know how to live. Right? And so we, we look forward to the end and we look forward to a remembrance that we will die and that we are mortal. That this flesh is mortal. It's a humbling time. It's a time that we can look at as we take a walk with the dog and the leaves and the, 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 the crinkling and the sound and the death and the, the smell in the air of the, the, the things that are dying and the rotting pumpkin that someone put on their porch that's starting to fall <laughs> over. That's me. Under, under this lively, fresh-faced skin is just another skull that it someday will be nothing more than dust. And so I must remember that. Because all the more I need to turn to my Savior for his grace. Because eternal life is only found in him. Eternal life is not found in the things of this earth. But I have faith and confidence that in the end, when it's New Year's Eve for us, Christ is coming back and Christ will be king. And we have nothing to fear. And then we move into the Advent season. I always tell people to, to, to celebrate Advent by more than just... Um, decorating for Christmas, and then getting up to Christmas Day. I always tell people to take time during the Advent season to do more prayer and, and, and study. This is a great book that I, that I have. Um, it's called Watch for the Light. And it is a, a, a daily uh, reader that each day, just various people throughout Christian history that have written about the coming of Jesus. Um, this, this, this book right here each day, I'll, t I'll take a passage out of it and I'll just read it in, you know, December 1st, December 4th, December 5th. And I'll just read that passage so that just as we see in the, the, the New Testament, when it was time for Christ to come, what were the, what were the people from the East doing? They were watching. They were studying to find, and remember they came to Israel and they were saying, we've been trying to search and find who is this one that's to be. We find Jesus, uh, uh, God takes pleasure in being hidden, and then he takes pleasure in us finding him. And so during the, this, this coming season of uh, November, uh, the end of November into December, it's a good time to restart everything. Wash the slate clean and restart. Now, I do it with, with, this, with this book, Watch for the Light, and there's, there's various things, and if you're, if you're wondering more about it, I could show you, but... I'm going to give you a copy of the, the Christmas season version of this, this prayer, and you will see that it's aligned more towards Jesus coming into the world. We're looking for him, and we're waiting for him. Do you remember what Pastor Andrew preached in the service the other day when he said um, Jesus was going to pass by? I mentioned this to you a couple weeks ago. Jesus was going to pass by them. Um, they saw him. They thought it was a ghost. 
He was going to pass by. And then the book of Job was the same way. This still goes for us. God is, God is walking by us. God is moving by us. And, and because of our apathy, because of our slumber, Paul says, awake, O sleeper, and Christ will give you life. Because of our apathy and because of our slumber, um, we miss him. And so the, the, the month of December, the Advent season, is the, is the perfect time for us to begin looking at the cold, at the dead, and recognizing that that's really the way the world looks. That's really the way the world is. Now, we, if you turn on the television, um, all the commercials will tell you that this world is alive. Like, it's, it's bright and it's colorful, and man, apparently if I drink an Ensure, I will be out in a canoe <laughs> celebrating, Right? The world will show you, based on their music, based on their culture, based on what they show you on TV, that it is alive and well and it is beautiful and you and I get sucked into it. And what happens is we look at the church and we think the church is the one that's kind of dead. The world is alive. Just let me get out of here and let me get to, you know, for, for my kids, let me get back to the game on the phone or the, the, the game on the Xbox or let me get back to being with my friends. Let me go back to this, this merriment that we're having. But during the winter season, a Christian can look around at the death, at the snow, at the dead and dormant tree, and the fact that you don't see the animals and the birds singing, there's no fruit coming up out of the earth, and we can take a realistic look at the world and say, no, this is its real condition. And when you say that this is its real condition, what does the world need? It needs warmth. It needs the whole axis to turn back towards the sun again. It needs the sun to warm us. It needs precipitation. And when that happens, the earth will spring forth again. And so during the winter season, we can focus on the reality of our need. And we can focus then, when we focus on our need, then we create a desire. And when we desire and hunger and thirst after righteousness, that's when we find God. We often miss God because we've never been looking for him and we're not looking for him because we don't need him and we don't need him because the world is artificially showing us that we have everything that we need, but we don't realize it's empty. My children and I, and I won't blame them, but we, we I, oh, Doritos are so good. Like I'm, I'm almost 40 and I need to grow up here, but Doritos are good. I'm in the same boat there. But they're useless. You can light a fire with them. Yes, it's true. They're good, but they're useless. And halfway through a meal of half a bag of Doritos, I will tell you that I have everything in the world that I need. But when you're done and you're still hungry, but you have 1,700 calories inside of you and cuts all over the top of your mouth and your jaw hurts from chewing so much, you realize it's been empty. And what we don't want is to get to the end of our life having consumed everything that the world has given us only at that point to find out that it's empty. And so we use the time of the years, this, this winter season especially, to look around and see, oh, what we really need is real life. And so during this Advent season, we focus on that. And then once Jesus comes at Christmas, then it just gets wild because he's here. The light of the world has come into the world and we celebrate that. We celebrate that the light of the world has come into the world and now we see it. And so from, from Christmas all the way to the time of our repentance, uh, come whenever it falls this, this, this next year, we focus on the teachings of Jesus. Because the teachings of Jesus are the true light of the world. And if you see the world is dead, 
and you know that it needs something and that it needs Jesus, then we need to know what Jesus taught. And so, so January, February, March, these are great times to be really heavily reading the gospels. What did he teach? What did he say? Because I just looked at the world and saw that it died at the end of October. Uh, for this large chunk of time, I could focus on this one thing. And then it's almost like it just kind of carries you through. I'll, I'll move through the Christmas season and then I'll move up into focusing on reading through the Gospels. And then during the, 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 the time of repentance before Easter is a, is a wonderful, beautiful time. I know sometimes it gets reduced to like, you should give up candy for Lent. And, and that's not what I'm talking about. Uh, it, it's a time of honestly, you and the Holy Spirit coming together to realize the things he's about to die for are the things that I'm clinging to. That's right. And so I need to search heavily and deeply now is not the time to start a new Netflix show. Now is not a time to plan X, Y, and Z. Now is a time where me and the Lord get really close and he can purge and cleanse some things out of me. And so it has been a, a wonderful time for me. And I have been telling people about it more and more recently because it's, 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 um, it's a powerful thing. The, the, the liturgy of the church, I use, I use prayer books. I told you this before in lectionaries that kind of point you through like, okay, this is what I'm going to read today in the scriptures. And I showed this to you. It does a few things. Here, here's what it does. Number one, it unifies people together. I found that uh, because I follow a lot of different people on, on Twitter to, to, you know, I get book recommendations and such. I find that um, the people, I'm in Kings right now, and the people that I follow are talking about Kings. And it, it, it's unifying because, oh, I just read that. Oh, okay. Oh, that's a great thought to have going forward. And so it unifies us all around kind of the same thing. Uh, there's a beauty to it. If you remember, Pastor Andrew said a few weeks ago how much he loves, um, he, he, he had noticed that we prepare sermons, what we're going to say to the people, but we don't really prepare our prayers, what we're going to say to God. And he was looking at some of the church's older uh, prayer meetings, and they were handwritten, carefully thought out prayers. Uh, so when he said that, I noticed that last Sunday, um, the, the Sunday prayer was just beautifully written about the resurrection of Jesus. Um, so uh, I had it on my phone just in case, and Connor said, what are you doing? And I said, I'm pulling this up because sometimes Pastor Andrew asks people to pray, and if it's me, I'm gonna roll with this one. And Connor's like, and Connor's like, okay, Dad. And I was looking at Pastor Andrew, and he's like, Jeremy, why don't you pray? And I was like, see, I told you. Spirit does what he does. And so I read, I, I read a prayer last Sunday just because it was so beautiful and it was written. And, and, and here's the thing about it. Hundreds and thousands and millions of people read that same prayer. All of us together combined on uh, all of us as Christians are one body. And so it unified me with the, the church. It unifies us with the past and the present. You know, when the Bible says Peter and John went up to pray at the temple, Right. Now, they come from a Jewish background. I don't know exactly what they might have done, but I know that Jesus had taught them to pray. So it's likely that when Peter and John went up to the temple, they prayed, our Father who art in heaven, because that's what Jesus taught them to pray. And so when I pray, I know I'm praying the same thing that some little old lady in the middle of India, who's a Christian, is praying today. And something that somebody in Ireland in the you know, sixth century, when they were replacing the pagan holidays, were, they were praying this prayer. And so it's this unifying, beautiful thing where we already do it. Like I said, you go to a baseball game and you do the liturgy of the baseball game. Um, but this is the work of the people, how we operate together. And you know, you're familiar with it. You've seen it in baptism and, and communion and the Lord's Supper and stuff like that. And so uh, that's, the, that's, that's kind of a little bit I wanted to share with you on the church calendar, what, what it is that they do. And the reason I brought that up is because the church would do what we're doing. 
and they would have a kind of a, a catechism class to talk about the essentials of the faith, and it would lead them up to cel- celebrating at Easter time. So you are all, you are you're Christians, and you've been Christians, so you're not like a new brand new believers class. But what they would do is that the new believers or those that were uh, coming to follow Christ would come into this class and they would be trained in the teachings of the faith so that by Easter they would be ready to confess, yes, I believe in Jesus Christ is, is God's only son and our Lord. And they would be baptized on Easter Sunday and they would have this grand celebration of look at all these brand new people that came into the body of Christ. And they would celebrate new life by having new life and having their own baptism and, and it would just be a, a wonderful celebration. And so uh, that's what the church would kind of be able to do. So anyway, that's a little bit of a, a history on the church and why the church has a calendar. And we're going to integrate it into the class a little bit. And like I said, when I give you new ones of these, they're going to match the season. You'll be able to tell that during the Christmas season, it's much more Christmassy. Uh, and during the repentance season, it's much more repenty. And during Easter, it's much more alleluia So, uh, <clears throat> all right. Um, what I'm going to do is we're moving into uh, there's a there's various different different catechisms. A catechism just it's question and answer to to learn to okay. Uh, there's various different ones that I looked through, um, and I was talking to Pastor Andrew about it, and he liked this one as well. But it's a book by a, a, pa- a preacher. Maybe some of you have heard of um, his name is J. I. Packer, and he wrote this uh, with his church. It's called To Be a Christian. Now, this is it's small. Uh, it's basically questions and answers, and we're going to go through it. I told you this before. We'll start this next week. Um, this is, I don't know, $20 on Amazon, but if you type into your internets to be a Christian PDF, they give it to you for free um, by way of PDF. And so what I'm going to do is I'm probably just going to go with it, go through it with you on the board, and this is going to be more of our time of, t- of just talking and discussing, right? So I, I gave you my lesson plan earlier. Now we're just going to kind of go through them. We're going to read them. Read the questions, read the answers, look at the scriptures, see what people's thoughts are. Here's something I've always wondered. Here's something I want to talk about. And again, this, the whole point of this class is a uh, strengthening. It's a strengthening of our faith by just focusing on what it is that we believe about Jesus. So I'm going to start this uh, next week. Um, if you didn't get one of these, by the way, I, <clears throat> if you, uh, I gave these out last week when we talked about um, the education portion of our relationships. And so uh, every family, feel free to take one of these. The book is called Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers. And so if we are going to learn about Christ, here's an opportunity to learn about Christ. Did we, dis- did we finish what you were discussing before? Or I was going to open it up to see if anybody had any thoughts where we were, any questions, anything that we've talked about so far that they want to bring up. Yeah. I really like the Lord's Prayer. I, I like the, the, the reading prayer stuff. It's, it sounds complete. Yeah. But growing up, I was always taught that prayer is a conversation between you and God. And, yeah. you know, the way they would always kind of push against using any kind of prayer books or, or yeah. the Lord's Prayer. Because even specifically, we all knew the Lord's Prayer, but it was never recited. Yeah. Because it was, you know, don't be like them who re- repeat vain repetitions and mess that up. Yeah. So I was just kind of, I, I know a lot of the background of it, but I don't understand kind of some of where you're at. Was that last week? I could listen to the podcast. No, 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 no. So are you saying like, why, why did they say not to do it? Or yeah, why am I saying to do it? Yeah. Where, where is maybe, maybe we're I'm missing some of the fuller picture of yeah. what prayer really is. 
and you're talking about the unity of the of the believer, and I, I guess maybe growing up and, and in my Christian faith, we've always talked more about the individual yeah. individuality of the Christian believer rather mm-hmm. than the group. Yeah. We don't. I mean, we do things as groups. Yeah. But we don't typically talk about the, the liturgy stuff that you're talking about, yeah. at least in my background of growing up. We didn't talk about that stuff. Yeah. I mean, obviously we did because we showed up to church every week and right. went to Sunday school on Sunday nights and Wednesday. But not those specific things. I was kind of curious. Yeah, I mean, if you, if you notice, again, I said part of the, the, the church's culture is that it stands against the world's culture. Right. It's different than that. And what I just noticed historically was the, the, the group that grew the fastest and the most in the United States during its founding was the Baptist, Anabaptist, et cetera, movement. They grew, just exploded in the United States. Um, and politically, what was also happening at that time, it was a movement of independence, Right. And so it made sense that you see while the political feel of the time was moved to independence, so also was the religious feel of the time to move to independence. Today's also, if you so choose, it's also Reformation Day. Martin Luther walked up with 95 thesis and just decided to slap some people in the face. Um, and he set forth, you know, not he alone, but, you know, it was the shot heard around the world that started the Reformation. And so there was some egregious violations that were going on at the time. And there was, you know, drop a, what, what, is, what was the saying? Every time a, 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 a coin in the coffer rings, a soul from purgatory. purgatory. I can't remember how it goes, but it was basically you could buy people's way out of purgatory and hell. And Luther was like, we're way off on this. And so there was a, there, there always is a tendency of us to take what is good and then to warp it into something. And so what happens is we have this more independent movement and we have this, we have to pull away from these authority structures and you're not allowing, you know, you're not allowing people to read the scriptures and you're not allowing the spirit of God to move freely within people. And so to bind people, to force them to pray these certain prayers at these certain times, it was, it was, it was like, we got to let the spirit go, man. And so there was this large, there was this, this movement in, especially in the United States, um, that was very charismatic and Pentecostal of sorts. That was the, the great awakening. Actually, Baptists were not big fans at certain strains of Baptists were not big fans of the Great Awakening because in the 1700s, the Baptists were kind of like the intellectual ones. They were the ones founding the schools and they wanted, they wanted to do that. And so here comes this Whitfield Anglican guy all over and he's like, we should have a spiritual experience. And, and all of a sudden people were like rebaptizing people because unless you had like this spiritual experience, you, we can't, you, I don't know if you're saved. You might just be conforming to these, these ways of these structures and these hierarchies. So there's this big pull against it. And I think that that just kind of resonates down through the ages of, of, of referring to something like the Lord's Prayer as a vain repetition, right? Or referring to anything that is written as a vain repetition. And it's, it's not. It's just not when Jesus was talking about vain repetitions, he was definitely not talking about the prayer that he was specifically giving us to pray, right? And so go ahead. It, 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 100%. And, and you remember the scriptures. The scriptures don't say, that, Paul tells Timothy that the scriptures are profitable. But when the Bible talks about handing down our faith to the next group, it says handing down the faith delivered by the apostles. It doesn't just say, oh, there's a new disciple, figure it out, right? Because who says what this means? 
All right, here's an example. Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Right? Is Peter the rock? Is Jesus the rock? Is the rock the statement that Peter said? Which one? Because we have major denominations that are built based on what that means. So who gets to say? That's why it's important to have the creeds. Because the creeds tell us this is what faith is. And what happens is the further we get away from the creed, you're right. You have people that are, you go on, I, I see, I, I have friends and I, I, I see these things and they'll have daily affirmations and whatever. And sure, it sounds nice, it's cute, it's good, but it's not the Christian faith. And if it's not the teaching of Jesus, it doesn't have real life. It's got temporary it's got, a, it's got a temporariness to it, right? It's, it's something that can dissolve and, 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 and push away. And so when we say, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, well, then when someone comes along and says something that, that God can't be a father, no, God's the Father, game over. There's no conversation about that. Well, Jesus didn't rise bodily. No, he descended to the, to the dead. He rose again the third day, right? This is our faith. And if we start to dilute the faith, we start to miss the faith. The scripture tells us clearly, you do not, you do not know how to pray. Any prayer that you say is, it, it, it is a prayer that must be necessarily generated by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one that is hidden, but then reveals us, himself to us so that he might point us to Jesus and he calls us to pray. And then we pray, not because we're getting God to do something, but because God is trying to do something by getting us to be the ones to pray for it because he wants to do it. God is inviting us into him saving the world. So Melissa's not saved, and let's just say, and what does God do? God wants to save Melissa. So God puts a burden in my heart to ask God to save Melissa, and I begin to pray for it, but it's not me. I live, nevertheless, not I, but Christ is living in me. And so as I'm praying, it is God who is doing it in me to pray, and he is bringing grace into her life because of my prayer, but my prayer is because he's doing it through me. You see what I mean? And so rather than go, uh, hey God, I pause and say, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Now, I still pray. I still randomly, I go outside and honestly my walks, my walks are time where I'm like, look, I'm confused. And that's what the Psalms are for. The Psalms are David and the, and the, the Psalms are a weapon against Satan. Let me tell you why. Because Satan is so good at taking something like the Lord's prayer and then going, you stink at this. And David is like, God, I stink at this. <laughs> right? And then God's like, good. See, do you see what he did? He was bad at this, but he prayed. He cried out. David was mad at God. David was like, where are you? David said all the things that you should not say. And the Psalms gives us permission to say those things because God is bigger than Satan. And when our heart condemns us, first John says, God is greater than our hearts. And so I rely a lot on the scriptures themselves to be my prayers. And what, what's beautiful about it is that they become my prayers. As slowly as you're doing it, I will find myself saying, blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, who standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. He shall be like a tree. And, and his words become my prayer. And then I'm like, that's just where I want to be. Like, I want to be to the point where I do fold completely up into him and get lost in him. And so that's why I love to meditate on those things. And they do, they, they, you can make anything a vain repetition, right? If you don't, if I'm, if I'm feed, if I decide to stop doing morning prayer, but I just start washing the dishes, our father, Martin, heaven, hallowed be the name of the, it's like, okay, you're going out of your way to not spend time with God, right? You're being, you're purposely being empty. 
I'm taking over too much time. Speaking of the Lord's Prayer, let's pray it and let's go out of here, okay? Thank you for listening to this week's Essentials class. All the links to resources that are available to you are in the episode description below. You can sign up for our Substack or you can follow us on Instagram. And there's a link in our bio. There is a resource that we've created for people that might be interested in praying through the times and the seasons, the liturgy of the seasons, as we call it, whether it's Advent or Christmas or Lent or Easter or Pentecost. And people who are unfamiliar with the Book of Common Prayer or other prayer books might find the resource that we have created an easy entryway into helping you pray through the times and the seasons. And it's a book of morning and evening prayer that's just taken one of the larger books of common prayer and reduced it down to a bit of a primer for you to help you, something you can maybe stick in a Bible or put in your briefcase on the way to work or or, uh, have with you at lunchtime or even in the evening time when you're uh, getting ready to close out your day. And so if you're interested in taking part in growing in your prayer and having a consistent prayer life that way, those resources will be available to you. Next week in the Essentials class, we will begin the study of the Catechism to Be a Christian by J.I. Packer. Thank you.